Welcome to Hustle Up's The Big Break, where we talk to showrunners, directors, executives, and other talented people working in the entertainment industry about how they got their start and what they've done to fast forward their creative careers. I'm H. Schuster, the founder and CEO of Hustle Up, a professional network that connects creative talent with each other and with the entertainment companies that need to staff them. Today, I'm breaking it down with Mark Schulman, partner at Three Arts, where he has helped manage the careers of diverse clients, including Mario Lopez, Chrissy Teigen, Craig Robinson, Howie Mandel, Sherry Shepard, Tyra Banks, Chelsea Hand and more for over 25 years. During his career, Marcus produced shows for Netflix, ABC, Fox, Peacock, E, VH1, Showtime, and lots of other networks and streamers. Join us for this episode of Hustle Up's The Big Break. Longtime manager and producer Mark Schulman has shepherded clients' careers as a partner at Three Arts for over 25 years. Recently, Mark was an EP on Killing It for Peacock, and he's a part owner of the newly relaunched Menudo Boy Band, along with his client Mario Lopez. Over his career, Mark has worked with Mario, Chrissy Teigen, Craig Robinson, Howie Mandel, Sherry Shepard, Tyra Banks, Chelsea Handler, and lots of other great talent. And Mark has produced shows for Netflix, ABC, Fox, Peacock, E, VH1, Showtime, and other networks. I've developed projects with Mark and his clients many times, and he's a creative leader among reps. I'm so excited to talk about all your cool clients and the state of our industry. Uh, Welcome, Mark Schulman, and thank you for breaking it down with us. I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you for that. that. We, uh, we, we love to have a little applause uh, track. You can't go wrong with an applause (laughs) track. Uh, So, so, you know, Here's the thing that I find to be so amazing about your career. You've been a manager and producer at Three Arts for over 25 years, which is literally a lifetime in this business. I mean, in a business where people move every few years and take a new seat, what do you love about Three Arts, and and why have you chosen to really build your career in one place? Yeah, from day one, what I loved about this company is um, it always felt like uh, everyone – approached it as underdogs um and now when i started in 98 um you know we really were sort of like a company that was was very much growing with the goals of being a brillstein gray or someone like that who was really controlling the business at that point on the management and production side but everyone's mindset here was always how do we continue to improve? How do we continue to learn, utilize each other's resources, learn from each other? Um, and that mentality, funny enough, 25 years later, remains the same. And, you know, we, we obviously have grown in, in a huge way, but everyone still feels the same way. So I, I really do feel like I'm learning from my colleagues every day and, and hopefully giving giving them some knowledge and insight that I can bring to the table as well. That's really interesting. I mean, I think, you know, um, it's, it's, it's great to hear you talk about a place that you love the culture and, um, and, and you know, that, that the culture remains intact from, you know, many years ago when the company's formed. Tell, tell us a little bit about how Three Arts came to be in that landscape in the 90s um, and, and, you know, uh, some, some of the projects that have been sort of the, the hallmarks of what Three Arts has done. Yeah, when we first started, um, you know, Michael Rotenberg, Erwin Stoff, and Howard Klein started the company 30-plus years ago now. Um, all from very diverse backgrounds, literary and 
agents and attorneys and you know they started it all together and um, all with the mindset of building a company that was built on creators that was built you know we always say it's it's clients who have a business within themselves so looking for those kinds of clients that could lead to producing that could lead to the, the to content providing and that was always their goal from the from the very beginning and honestly there was like I said really only Brillstein who was doing it on a big level at that point but their goal yeah. was to continue building it out so um, we've been able to when I started I think we had two shows on the air and and four managers those three and and Molly Madden excuse me seven uh, Dave Miner and Dave Becky and then I came on with a couple of managers and now I think we have about 35 managers in LA we have another 10 in New York we have an office in Atlanta we have an office in Toronto um, and we have a satellite office in Israel so um, you, you guys might single-handedly be saving commercial real estate with all those offices because <laughs> let me tell you nobody, nobody's in the office anymore this is amazing are you guys all back in the office are you working together as a team you know uh, under one roof for the most yeah, part yeah we're all in the office at this point I think it, it was a huge yeah. um, for a company like ourselves who builds who prides itself on walking into each other's office and staff meetings yeah. and, and doing things jointly and and um, just being around other creative people, I think it was such a, a, a detriment over the pandemic time when you all kind of were sequestered to your own place. So the more we're yeah. together, I think the more effective we all are. Yeah, it leads to that culture you're talking yeah. about, that collaborative culture and, and, and really being able to brainstorm and say, hey, here's what I'm doing. What do you think kind of thing, yeah. right? That's so much harder to do on, on Slack, right? Everybody loves the Slack. For sure. Um, I mean, when we started, like I said, and you were asking, and again, just the, the growth on a macro level, we had two shows on the air in 1998. I think it was King of the Hill and Chris Rock show were probably the only great shows, great shows iconic shows. But, you know, from that point, now we have 52 shows on TV that we executive produce and That's know, clients across the board and, and been known for such iconic shows like The Office and Parks and Rec and It's Always Sunny and Chris Rock Show and Beavis and Butthead and King of the Hill and Hacks Now and, um, you know, Scripted and Unscripted, Chelsea Lately, all these yeah. shows. So it's really been across the board, but I think a large part of that is, again, how everyone's brought such different things to the table and building in a way from a company that wasn't redundant. It was people really adding yeah. on different skill sets. Well, and I think it's interesting, right? I mean, it, it's worth worth sort of clarifying for our listeners who don't know. Maybe you can explain to them a little bit about the difference between being a manager and being an agent. But I also think it's really interesting. You're saying, you know, back in the 90s when you guys were, were, were building, there were only a couple of real management companies that were doing what you're doing. And I feel like now today... There are a lot more clients out there, a lot more talent out there that are saying, I, I need a manager. I want to be with a manager. Like be, having a manager on my team is so important. But, but maybe you could tell our listeners a little bit about how what you guys do is a little bit different from what a traditional agency uh, does. Yeah, it's funny. I, as long as I've been doing it, I've been still trying to explain it to my parents, the difference between <laughs> agenting and managing. Um, <laughs> And a lot of clients, prospectively, who come in and truly, I, you know, want to understand. There are a lot of traditional managers out there. And the traditional managers, I mean, who just really uh, are, are just kind of there to make things run smoothly. 
um, right. and, and help them in sort of a glorified assistant kind of way, and which can be helpful for certain clients for what they're, they're looking to do. For us specifically, the way we look at management is more as a, as a partner to a client than it is anything else. You know, our job is to oversee the entire business of that client. So making sure the agent's doing what they need to do, the publicist is doing what they need to do, the attorney, the business manager, I mean, everyone within the team uh, of that prospective client. I mean, you brought up Mario Lopez. I mean, Mario, for example, has his literary agent, his hosting agent, his licensing agent, his publicist, his business manager. I mean, he's got his corporate guy. You know, he's got six. That, that's a lot of holidays. <laughs> it's, it's, it's six or seven components that I have to make sure are all kind of working in unison with one, one another. Yeah. And the agent's job um, is really just procuring work and helping to negotiate great deals. And um, I always, we value that relationship in such a great way with agents and having a great agent team. And it's something we believe in and need and and a client needs. Um, But, you know, that's one aspect. Our job is really kind of the hub of all of it to make sure everyone's working in unison. so, yeah. And I think the other big difference is they're more volume driven, you know, when, yeah. with agencies and they can have, you know, two, three hundred clients sometimes that they're looking after. And as a manager, it's a much more strategic focused effort when you're working on a handful of clients and making sure all those pieces are kind of moving forward every single day. Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, I'm curious that, you know, you may have already sort of given us a a window into this, but, you know, what should new talent do to find great representation and what should they, what should they look for in a manager? Like what, what kinds of questions should they ask when they're thinking about signing with a manager? Yeah, I I think a couple things. Number one, it kind of depends on the specific goals and interests of that client, right? So if someone is um, really just looking to be right films, let's just say it's that simple, then you're going to look for people who really focus in that area or certain actors who really don't have any desire other than just doing great work as an actor. You're looking for managers who focus in that area. You know, um, mostly our clients are clients who are looking to have a multi faceted career who are looking to, you know, they want to act, they want to host, they want to produce, they want to create, they want to be content providers. So for us, for Three Arts, those are kind of clients we gravitate ourselves to mostly is with that mindset. Um, But there are different managers for different people. I mean, there is fantastic management companies, uh, I don't know, an Untitled or a 360 or great companies who may not have the producing resume that we have, um, but they have phenomenal clients who just keep working and keep, you know, doing their things and and um, and do quite well in that regard. So everyone has different expertise. I think it's incumbent upon that talent to decide what do I want to do, and then do a little research and decide what are those companies that represent those kinds of people. Uh, Sure. Yeah. And I mean, I think you've, <clears throat> you've represented a lot of multi-hyphenates, yeah. right? 
Um, Mario Lopez is a great example, and you've had a relationship working with him for years. How did you guys come together? How did you and Mario become uh, a, a client and manager? It was, I still, it, it was a meeting I still remember, and it was 22 years ago we started working together. And at that time, Mario was hosting a pet show, and he was showing up at Vegas gigs for a thousand bucks a pop and just trying to pay bills more than anything else. And, um, but we sat down and his mindset was not that of someone who was trying to pay bills. His mindset was one of, I remember he said to me at that meeting, I want to be the Latino Dick Clark. He said that to me in our very first meeting, he knew who he wanted to be. And then our goals for the last 22 years on a, on a big picture remain the same. How do we keep moving forward? to get to that place and knock on wood every single year for 22 years he has gone up in his yearly um, success and income and it's unbelievable I, I, there's no other client I can think of has really had that other than maybe Kevin Hart here um, who has had never had a year that he didn't step forward and I think a lot of that is obviously I like to think I played a role but also um, he is as proactive as I am. So it makes a big difference with the clients. You got It makes a huge hard. difference. Yeah. I mean, I think this is a conversation I have with a lot of young folks who are like, well, you know, I thought my, I was going to sign and you know, it was going to happen for me right away. And it's like, no, like you have to do the work. Yes. Like every day you have to be coming up with new IP and new ideas and taking the meetings and, you know, figuring out how to, how to push yourself forward. I mean, I, I'm, I'm curious you know, as a manager, how do you go about discovering new clients? Like when you're thinking about repping somebody new, how do you go through that process of, of especially when you were younger, yeah. right? When you were, when you were newer in the business, how did you, you build that book of business in terms of discovering people that you knew had it and you wanted to represent? You know, gosh, in the beginning of your career, it's all outgoing calls. It's trying to establish yourself. It's trying to build your um, resources, build your contact base across town, um, get people to trust you. Um, it was hard in the beginning. Now, I was very fortunate that three of my first four clients I still work with today. So we've had an amazing- That's amazing. So my very first client was Craig Robinson 25 years ago, who you know dearly. Um, I love and that man. I, He's amazing. I signed Craig at the Bay Area Comedy Festival a week into my job. And, and really, the, the separating element with Craig is he wasn't like anybody else. He was so unique um, at a time where comic after comic was going up doing the same kinds of material. And Craig went up with such a unique perspective and approach that I just found him to be special. Um, I mean, yeah. and, and different. And I remember sitting down with him when he was still teaching school at that time and saying, you know, I want to grow together. I want to go through this together. And it's been 25 years. You know, when I brought Chelsea Handler out from New Jersey, um, who was another one of my first few clients, she had a persona on stage that, I mean, man, she went up and she was hammered and she was just going crazy <laughs> on stage, but she just was fearless. She was just fearless on stage. And it was so rare. The alcohol helps. That helps. <laughs> but, but she has this mentality, and it's what I respect about her most, is that she just has the utmost amount of confidence 
in herself, in her demeanor, and she's fearless yeah. in her comedy. So, you know, that's what drew me to her. You know, everybody's different. Mario, I loved how he thought. So everybody was different. So in the beginning, that's kind of how I went along things. Now, I still do that. I still enjoy. Uh, funny enough, today I brought in a newspaper because I found a clipping on a story. <laughs> and one of the assistants said, what is that you're holding in your hand as a joke? Um, but I still look at the newspaper every single day and I look at stories, yeah. I look at prospective clients. Uh, I mean, it keeps it keeps it fresh and you always need to be aware. You don't know where they're coming from. So um, that's right. We're always having to be aware of that. That's true. And I think, you know, that's the thing about building a book of business as a, as a manager, as a rep, is that you are you're trying to source people and source ideas and you have to have. You know, you have to be looking at everything, news media and YouTube and, you know, I'll just plug us, hustle up and, and lots of places where you can discover people that you might not. You can only go to so many open mic nights a week. Right. Uh, and so you've got it. You've got to be able to look at, you know, a, a volume and a wide range of talent. And that's that's how you sort of also, I think, figure out what your taste is as a rep. Right. You work with a large, diverse list of talent uh, in terms of people of color and women. Was that something that was important to you at the outset or did that kind of organically develop as you just realized who you were interested in, in their perspectives and, and their points of view? You know, it's funny. I do have probably three quarters of my list as diverse talent. And um, it's not that I set out saying I'm going to make a business of this. I have just yeah. gravitated to voices and I have found more voices of diverse talent who have something to say. Um, yeah. And that to me is, is exciting to me. So I, I don't care if, you know, what their race or color or, or sexuality or like I could care less. I care about a voice they have. And that's what's exciting to me. I just signed this woman, for example, and was reading the newspaper. I, I swear to <laughs> God, about a month and a half ago, there was a story in the LA Times about one of the stars of the Angel City soccer team. Her name is Sarah Gordon. Beautiful, incredible. We soccer. are season ticket holders oh, at Angel City. So you know Sarah. So so no Sarah. So, Sarah, on the heels, she's a model, and she's got all this, and she's one of the top players on the team. But what's exciting to me about that story is she's also a full-time mom. She's also recovered from multiple career-threatening injuries. She's also broadcasting on ESPN. She's also got a huge philanthropic side of her career and what she's all about. So when you start yeah. seeing what her business is all about that's what's exciting now i love all sports so i'm always interested in athletes but in representing someone they have to have that kind of um desire and brand um uh, awareness to to really get us excited so um it's just that's an example of it and so so now that you're working with her is there a project you can talk about or is everything sort of still uh, bubbling and developing. Well, we're still working on a bunch of things right now. I mean, one of the things we've been discussing is she's already gotten interest from multiple people to do a podcast, which is really focused on professional athlete moms. That's awesome. Which um, I love. I think it's it's such a great story of someone who, you know, we often hear, and especially as a dad of two girls, like I don't want to have to tell my daughter you have to choose. 
and you can be a mom, you can do those things, but you can also pursue your career to the highest level. So um, that's really a podcast that, that would really focus on that. Of these are people achieving on the very highest of levels, but are all completely devoted to their children and, and find that just as important. That's really cool. Well, now you and I are going to have to go to an ACFC game together right. because, you know, it's so much fun. The, the, the game last week, they scored three goals, boom, 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 in the first half of the game. Yeah. Uh, and then Kansas City did kind of come back, but it was an amazing game. And the cool thing for us, just to give a, a short Angel City story, the cool thing for us is that Alyssa Thompson, who is the youngest player to now yeah. be in the, the professional women's league, goes to high school with our daughter at Harvard Westlake. Like, she's playing in the game on Sunday, and then on Monday morning she's in class with, with Simone. Um, and <clears throat> Simone played... Yeah, Simone played field hockey with her. Uh, Simone is not in, in a professional <laughs> women's league. But, but uh, Simone's, like, so inspired by and impressed by her classmate. It's, like, such an amazing story. Yeah, and not but, just um, playing. Like, she is on... Wait list for our World Cup team, our national team. Yeah. Like that's how good yeah. she is. So it's it's pretty incredible. Yeah. It is incredible. Yeah. It is incredible. All right, now I have to ask you yeah. to tell us your best Craig Robinson story that he won't kill you for. Uh, 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 we don't want to, We don't want to get you in trouble. But I, like Craig's such an amazing guy. We oh have God. to hear a good Craig Robinson story. Well, first of all, <laughs> I think one of the greatest things about Craig is first he's one of the kindest human beings you'll ever meet. So anybody who's worked with him has only has beautiful things to say about him. But Craig yeah. genuinely loves what he does. He loves playing yeah. music. He loves comedy. And um, there are very few celebrity, excuse me, very few uh, industry execs who don't have a story that somehow involves, I was at a bar late and Craig was playing the <laughs> piano and everybody's got this story because he loves playing. But I'll never forget one time we were at TIFF, at Toronto Festival. We were going down the street one night and it was after his, his film had premiered and we saw this little hole in the wall bar that probably had five people in it. And there was a piano, and he goes, hey, Mark, just see if they'll let me screw around on the piano a little bit. Nobody was there. It was dead. So I walked in, and I, they said, we really don't ever use this piano. And I said, well, just let them screw around a little bit on it. We'll have some drinks and whatever. So we go down into the bar. They clear it off for him. He starts playing a few songs. Crowd starts building. And then I go on and see people are starting to, on Snapchat and so forth, saying Craig Robinson is playing. It ended up being jam-packed. We were there for almost, <laughs> not joking you, almost four hours. And Craig wow. was just playing song after song after song in the piano. And everyone is throwing songs out from the audience and there's nothing he can't play. And it just became this scene of just people having the greatest time ever. Um, it was just the entire place singing. Uh, it was just so much fun, but it's so exemplary of who he is. He didn't get paid a dollar. He got paid in drinks. He didn't get paid. A yeah, there you go. Uh, there you go. <laughs> that's the best time. But I think everybody's got those stories with Craig, where he's just so kind um, and just like sharing joy awesome in what she does. He does. So that's really who he is. And I don't think I've ever seen him say no to a picture ever. Yeah, 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 no, he's the, and, and I've been at parties, you know, there was a party at Howard's house, Howard Owens' house, uh, when he was on The Office, he just sat down at the piano, started playing, and, you know, it's just his story. thing. Yeah. 
And and when we and when we shot the comedy pilot, the sketch comedy pilot, you know, we put him in a in a in, in at the improv with a piano on the on the on the uh, on the stage. Yeah. And if you remember, he just he just improv'd the theme song for the uh, for, for the for the the pilot. So you know, he's he's delightful uh, behind the piano. He's he's wonderful, and, and you know, in terms of some of the new clients that you've signed, uh, you mentioned Sarah Gordon, obviously from Angel City. But are there other folks that you're super excited about who are newer to your uh, your 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 client team? Yeah, I think so. There's uh, uh, there's another woman I signed with a colleague of mine, for example. Her name is Caden Phoenix. Caden um, is. By the way, Caden Phoenix, Hustle Up member. We love Caden. Oh, really? She's awesome. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so Caden, um, and I can't believe this. I didn't even play. Again, I found out about with a story in the LA Times, just so you know. There was a story on yeah. what she was doing with these Latina superheroes. And I just was so, it was so incredible because she's done it all on her own at that point. Yeah. She'd self-published. She had written this whole story. Comic books. She's doing, she's doing comic novels books, right? And comic yeah. books and, and all yeah. with this undertone of just female superheroes, all Latina in all different worlds. And it had just grown to this underground cult following. And now she's doing Latina princesses and she's building a whole universe. Yeah. And we sat down with her and she's, said, I want to be doing for the Latino world what Stan Lee did for the rest of the world. And that's my goal. That's so my cool. dream. And, you know, in just probably six months of representing her, she's got a huge book deal. We're doing another, um, we're doing a whole big endorsement with McDonald's and a partnership with them. She's uh, developing a show with Eva Longoria's company. Like, she's building this business, but all from a point of view that felt distinct. Um, that is so cool. Stand out. Yeah, that is that is awesome, and she's wonderful. And she also runs a great organization called Chicana Directors yeah. Initiative that uh, many of their members are members of Hustle Up, and she like really seriously wants to support her community. Absolutely, which is, is what we're all about. Yeah. So. That's so cool. All right, listen, I got to ask the question because as we record this, we're going into the third week or so of the writer's strike. I don't want to date our podcast, but uh, you've seen WGA strikes before. Yeah. Um, what's, your, what's your take on this one? Does it go all the way through the summer? Um, obviously, with no knowledge of the negotiations, yeah. what do you think is, is going to happen? I mean, look, the truth is we, it's a guessing game for all of us. I mean, we're, we're all yeah. in the same position. I mean... What we're hearing is that it's it's most likely a few months, um, but it's all who knows that can change on a dime. I mean, um, there are sadly financial advantages from studios um, to having it last a little longer and, and getting rid of some financial um, burden that they have. Um, but uh, let's hope it doesn't last that long. I think, though, and we're so far away from that decision process. You know, you're 10 rungs yeah. away in what we do. But I think the way sure. we approach it is not dissimilar from the prior strike or the pandemic, where every single day you still got to report to work and find ways for your clients' careers to proceed. Um, you have no choice. They got to pay bills. They got to figure things out. And even if it's prepping or thinking or um, whatever you have to do uh, 
to keep trying to be a, a creator, you have to do. And you know, there's yeah. certain clients of ours who can who are have the balance in the unscripted world. So you know, you're doing more in that space, or is it speaking, or is it um, you know different things you can do that respect all the guidelines of what you can and cannot do for the WGA, but still sure. um, try to be uh, creative. Um, and that's our job is yeah. to continue pushing them. So you're not sitting here when the strike is over and go, okay, now what are we going to do? You're trying to yeah. continue thinking. So when this strike is over, you're ready to hit the ground running. So it's kind of all yeah, and I, I, Yeah, I get that. And I mean, I, I think, you know, do you think that we're going to see a big uptick in unscripted? Do you think that more and more is going to get ordered on the unscripted side in anticipation of, of holes in schedules? To whatever extent there are still schedules? Yeah. I just want to say, I want to make sure the building is not burning down over yeah. there because I'm hearing some sirens. Yeah, it, it'll, it'll end. <laughs> If you need to evacuate, Mark, you let us know. All right, know. <laughs> I'll give you a heads up. Um, do I think, I, look, the truth is, I think six months ago, the network should have been ordering more unscripted. Um, yeah, yeah, and they didn't. And they didn't. They really didn't. And it was very surprising that more network streamers, everybody, wasn't prepping with more unscripted stuff, because I, 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 every day I was asking the same questions to buyers, and it seemed like they were not. Yeah. Now, I think some of that was a, uh, a hope and an optimism that this would not be long. Uh, yeah. If it yeah. is long, then I think you're going to find an immediate rush to like, okay, now we need stuff, <laughs> which is never good for the business because then you're ultimately putting yeah. stuff on that you're rushing to air and it doesn't have the proper time to prep and get ready. And um, so that's a bit scary. And then you can start seeing some subpar product out yeah. there. But I, I think it's only logical that there has to be an uptick in unscripted material because there just has to be airwaves need to be filled. Day parts need to be filled. Yeah. So um, it seems like that's got to happen sometime very soon. Um, and then you'll see that mad rush is my guess. It's interesting, right? I mean, we also obviously have SAG-AFTRA that are going to be coming to the table for their own negotiations. And, yeah. and the, the unions, you know, I'm curious your take on this. Obviously, we've both been in this business a long time. We, we started when we were 12. Yeah. Uh, you know, in the other strikes, you know, and, and even 2017 where we averted the strike, it felt like the unions were nowhere near as aligned as they are right now. Mm -hmm. You know, it feels like <clears throat> DJ and SAG-AFTRA are supporting the WGA more more vocally than they have in the past and sort of also putting out their own messaging. Um, like, do you think it's a historic, like, three union uh, shutdown is, is, is I mean, because I, I got to have my backup career ready. I, I need to be ready. You got to start getting some stand-up stuff ready. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be the fruit man who makes your fruit in the morning on the corner yeah. because uh, great. I, Although those prices that. are going up that. too. They used to be six bucks. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, the truth is, I, I, I really don't know. I certainly see more of a support across the business now than ever before. Um, we're now starting to see clients and shows that aren't having their clients go on entertainment shows or promote yeah. their shows um, in support of the writers. Now, yeah, that's a new one. That, that yeah. has not happened. In yeah, the now look, yeah. that has not happened. I don't know that that's the right answer, to be really honest. I yeah. think it's certainly very debatable as to whether that's doing good for their projects or not. Um, but we are seeing it. 
we are seeing some clients saying that they don't want to even step foot on a lot to promote something, even though they've done the work and so forth. There's movies that... It's sad, are... really. It's sad for our business, right? It's sad because I, I appreciate the solidarity among creative talent. I do. But, you know, it means that some great projects will probably not get the attention yeah. or the audience that one would hope, right? And that's not good for anybody. No, that's it's not. not. For, for the, the industry as a whole or the viewers, right? Um, I'll tell you, if you had asked me even like three years ago if AI was going to be a negotiating point <laughs> in these WGA talks, I would have thought you were pitching a new Terminator movie. Like, where is Arnold Schwarzenegger? Where is he? Um, but, but AI is here, right? In the last six months, it has accelerated dramatically. Yes. Um, what's your perspective on AI? It's, it, it's one of the biggest, you know, it's not talked about as much as it should in this process, but it's one of the biggest issues that is yeah. really prominent in the strike. I mean, we certainly have spoken about all the, the issues facing writers and streamers and back-end and episodic orders and fees that are down and so forth, and those are all very important, very legitimate issues. But AI is a yeah. huge one because you're dealing with so much of the unknown, um, and it is, it is tricky. I mean, I'm trying to learn more every single day. I'm trying to educate myself. I'm trying to you know, yeah, me too. just me too. learn more in that regard because, you know, three, four months ago, we're all sitting here going like, ah, oh, that's, that's a decade down the road. Like, honestly, yeah. admittedly, I'm looking at it going, that's not a, I don't, I don't got to worry about that. And then you go on and you realize the reality of this situation and how drafts of scripts can be spit out, how creative storytelling can be done, how books can be written. I mean, editing can be done. It is a very, very legitimate issue. And yeah, when you have the godfather of AI who was working at Google step down and say, this is dangerous, we got to take a beat, yeah. uh, you know, it, it should be scary for all of us, you know. I think it's interesting, though, because this comes back to something that we talked about at the beginning of our conversation, which is that you have, in particular, um, a talent roster, a client portfolio with diverse points of view talking about their specific lived life experiences in a way that can only come from a Craig Robinson or can only come from a Caden Phoenix, right? Um, and the, the thing about AI that I think, as, as I understand the technology as it is now, and listen, there will be continued developments, is yeah. that it's only as good as the stuff you feed into it, right? Mm -hmm. So it can't develop a fresh new voice yeah. that grew up with, you know, family trauma in... Chicago, right? Like, like it doesn't have the capacity to be entirely original, right? Um, you know, it's interesting. There was just an article that hit, uh, I, I guess, yesterday about the fact that somebody asked ChatGPT to write a scene from Succession. Uh, and, um, you know, they, they fed it in, you know, previous Succession episodes. And then they showed it to people and everybody was like, this is terrible. Ah. Like the, you know, it was a happy ending and all the characters are hugging and, you know, sentimental language. And so, you know, I don't know, but, uh, but, but it is scary, right? It is scary. Are your clients bringing it up and talking to you about it? Or is that not, that not percolating? I, I mean, they're asking questions. Um, I think yeah. we're all asking questions and trying to figure it out more. I mean, that there, the, you just brought up the, the most pertinent point, and I go back to this always, whether you're pitching a reality show or it's AI or a scripted show. The one part yeah. you can't duplicate is someone's self, someone's point of view, someone's attitude. That is personal to them, right? There's only so many ideas. Right. There's only so many 
unscripted shows or sitcom ideas, but the differentiating factor is that person at the center of it, whether it's the writer or the talent. You can't copy that person. You can try, but you're not that voice. It's like there is one Chris Rock, there's one Dave Chappelle, there's, you know, one Mike Judge. There's a lot of other great writers, there's a lot of other great talents, but you can't copy their voice. You can try to rip off an idea, but it's going to be, you know, it's going to be watered down. It's going to be something... Well, let's face it, we, we, we in this industry have faced people ripping off ideas for the last hundred years, so <laughs> it's only as good as the voice behind it. That's exactly it, right, because right? yeah. I've had people constantly who have said to me over the years, and I pitched that idea. Why did they buy it from The Rock and not from me? And it's like, well, because they bought it from The Rock. It's like, I don't know what to tell you. You're not The Rock today. You know, Kevin Hart pitched this idea. It's an at-home game show. I pitched an at-home game show. You're not Kevin Hart So get to be that point, and then you can determine ideas that you're pitching. So um, That's right. That's exactly right. That's true. Wait a minute. I pitched an at-home game show, and I'm not Kevin Hart either. Hold on. (laughs) (laughs) We all had that one. We all had that one. All right. I have to ask you, because it's the name of our podcast, what was your big break moment or series of moments in the business? How did you come into the business, right? You went to, to college, I believe, here in L.A. at USC. How did you come into the business, and, and when did you realize you wanted to be a manager? Um, my story is kind of a fun little story about how I broke into it, but I went to school at USC for college, and um, the end of my freshman year, television icon Brandon Tartikoff spoke, on, uh, spoke at, at USC, and for those who don't know Brandon, you know, Brandon was a one-of-a-kind pioneer legend in our business. Amazing. Um, Amazing. You know, when he was chairman at NBC is when they created shows like Friends and Seinfeld and Cheers and Cosby and ER. And, I mean, the list goes on and on and on of every show. Well, Must-see TV. He was the father of, of Must-see TV. Family right? Ties and Night Court and just on and on. But... Uh, I, when Brandon spoke, I was so inspired by his enthusiasm and his passion, and he really just looked like a kid having a great time doing what he did every single day. And yeah. I remember watching him going, I don't know exactly what I want to do, I just know I want to enjoy it like, like he does on an everyday basis. And I want to have that much fun and that, be that passionate about it. And then throughout my time at USC, I used to write him letters every single year, uh, multiple letters, and I'd make one or two calls a year to his office and never heard back from him, not once. But uh, Wow. Wait, you, you wrote, I mean, these, you, like, I'm assuming you typed like a real letter, put it in an envelope with a stamp. You put it and then <laughs> send it in the mail. And I would send it to him at that time when he was down in New Orleans. Um, with, with his his family and working down in New Orleans at that time, and I would send him multiple letters every single year. And then um, when I graduated, I'll never forget this. And I graduated living in Manhattan Beach at the time, living with a couple of buddies. And it was Friday night at ten o'clock at night, and we were all having a blast, and there were drinks going and music, and we were just doing what college kids do living in Manhattan Beach right after college. And it was Friday night at 10, and I'd gotten a call from his longtime assistant, Barbara Barry. I answered the phone, and Barbara said, um, ask for me, and it was me answering the landline. And uh, 
she said, uh, Mark, I have Brandon Tartikoff calling for you. And I was a little buzzed at that point. And I just answered the phone. <laughs> I said, okay. Like, not even anything professional. It was just like, oh, okay. And Brandon got on the phone. And the first thing he said is, first of all, wherever you are, I wish I were right now. And, <laughs> and he goes, but. You're like, turn down the music, guys. Uh, yeah. Turn down the I wasn't music. even, honestly, uh, aware enough at that point to just say everyone stay quiet. And um, Brandon had said to me at that point, listen, I've just been offered this job to chair this new company called New World Television. And I'm going to be moving back out to L.A. from New Orleans. And I start Monday and I'm looking for kind of like a junior executive to just follow me around and help me out in any way possible. And he said, and look, 20, 20 letters equals a job. That was his line. Wow. And he said, so wow. if you're interested, I'd love you to come work with me. And if you had written 21 letters, you would have gotten a, a bigger, yeah, better title. <laughs> so uh, I agreed to this was Friday night and I started Monday morning, not knowing what I was making or what I was doing or if I was in a cubicle wow. or an office. And, and I started, I was 20, just turned 22 years old. A month prior, I was hazing pledges. A month later, I was, you know, working with Brandon Tartikoff and that's how I broke into the business. Um, that is a fantastic yeah. story. I mean, you know, I can imagine the advice you would give somebody who's young breaking in today based on that story. But I'll ask you, like, what, what would be your advice to somebody who's like, you know, a, a, a student at USC or any other school or, or maybe can't afford to go to college even and they're trying to figure out how, how to break in? Yeah. I, first of all, I have no patience for people who are incredibly talented or incredibly driven on the surface and say, I just can't get them on the phone, or I just can't reach this person, or I can't find a manager, I can't find an agent, I can't, no one will read this. Like, you're just not trying hard enough, is my, is my mindset. And look, I did that, not that I'm patting myself on the back, but just at a time when we broke in, so this was, I graduated college at 90, in 94, so at this time, we didn't have the internet, we didn't have all those things nope. we can draw on. We had to make calls. There's no Twitter. We had to make calls, <laughs> we had to write letters, we had to do those things to be proactive. Now there are so many ways to reach people, to reach an audience, yeah. for, to be accessible, to, to get seen. Um, so there really is no excuse now not to be heard or seen. Um, that's really it's just so there's so many opportunities you're a writer you have the ability to write go write go go write little yep. shorts go write a script if your script isn't being read write another script that one will be better than the one before um, you know if yeah. you're an actor go do a short go find friends put something together get in an acting workshop getting classes if you're an executive like try to figure out how to put or your goal is to produce Go find that actor, go find that director, go find that writer and do something on your own. You can shoot on an iPhone for a hundred bucks. Yeah. There's so That's many right. ways to get content out there now that um, yeah. I, I think it's really incumbent upon that person to be proactive and just put stuff out there. When we've talked about Caden's a prime example, she didn't have anyone in the business she knew. She had no connections yep. to the business. She just did it. She just went out yep. and she did it. And there's a lot of people. We represent 
the guys who created It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, and those guys, yeah. you know, my colleague Nick Frankel has represented them from the beginning of their careers, from, yeah. you know, uh, from them being in, 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 um, in college and, and studying theater, and, you know, from the way that they sold It's Always Sunny is this famous story, but just they, even at that time, now the longest running comedy in the history of television, history, they sold that That's when it. the three of those guys went and shot a little pilot on their own for a hundred bucks on their phones, edited it, and that hundred dollar pilot is what sold to FX. So and now Rob owns a soccer team. I mean, in, uh, yeah, now look Europe. at it. It's just <laughs> unbelievable. So you know, I do think it's just it's it's very incumbent upon those people to use their resources, build contacts build their little, yeah. you know, circle of friends that they trust to go out and do it. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And how did you get from working with Brandon and being an executive at a studio a production company oh, to, to becoming a manager? Yeah, I uh, worked with him for three years. New World got bought out at that time by Fox. Uh, yeah. I had the opportunity to go to Brandon's production company at that point, which is a lot smaller. Um, but he said to me, you know, I think you're ready to find something that was a little bigger at that time, a little more high profile. So um, I had met at DreamWorks in 98, and I was fortunate enough to get that offer, or 97, um, to go over to DreamWorks. I went there, and as smart as those people were, and as, um, I mean, it was the, you know, the, the highest level of, of owners and executives and creators you could find. Sure. But I think we had nine executives working on one show. So it was just um, a different mindset. It's a lot of chefs. It was, it was yeah. a different mindset. It was, we've got this great deal with X writer, go service it. Great deal with X talent, go service it. It wasn't about, hey, I found this incredible new comedian who has this amazing new voice, or um, I, I saw this article that would make for a great TV show. It just wasn't about that at that time. And it just, That's really it was the opposite yeah. of what I did with Brandon. And Brandon was just pat. He'd rather fail with something he believed in than succeed with something he didn't give a crap about. And I, that's how I learned. And six months in, I remember saying to my boss, like, you know, that I'll spend the year, but this really wasn't for me. Um, and I was fortunate enough at that time to meet with Brillstein and with Three Arts and got offers from both. And um, just loved the direction of where Three Arts was going. And I kind of felt like Brillstein had already done it. They had already gotten to a place where they were the top of the business. They were determining it all. And being in a place that kind of felt that they wanted to get there was where I was kind of excited by. And I love the partners and owners here and um, came in and just kind of learned on the job. And so it's now been 25 plus it's, years. It's so cool too, I think, to hear somebody say, <clears throat> I went to one of the best companies in the business, right? DreamWorks, you know, especially at that time yeah. was like the best, right? Like you, you, you were in a premier place and to say, but this doesn't make me happy. Right. Like this isn't the thing I want for my career. I think that's hard for a lot of people, right? I think a lot of people in this business stay in a place that's not the best fit for them. And then what they do is, is actually it winds up setting them up for not being as successful as they could be because it's not a good fit or they're not happy or whatever it is. Um, and you recognized early and you bet on yourself. You said, this isn't the right fit for me, so I'm going to make a change. Yeah. 
Did you, was there hesitation or were, you know, was there a moment where you were like, I'm crazy to leave? Yeah. No, there was definitely a hesitation, I think. You know, but what, what I knew and I learned with Brandon, I learned with my father who is one of the most successful media buyers ever, you know, they loved what they did. And I just yeah. knew that if I were gonna be apart from my wife and children and spend more time with my assistant and colleagues than I did with my family, I had to enjoy what I was doing. It just, it's not worth it. And you know, for me at least, I just didn't wanna to report to ever work every single day, work long hours, spend you know, the, the effort that we have to spend and in all the jobs that you've been in, like all the highest profile jobs, the hours and the stress and the anxiety. And if you're not enjoying it, it's just not worth it. So um, that's what I learned early on. And, and even to this day, I kind of have a no assholes policy with my clients. <laughs> and I have to love them personally and believe they're going to be a success. Those are the two big things when I sign anyone. And one without the other, I just won't do it. So, um, yeah. Well, I mean, that's the perfect note, I think, to wrap this up on. I, I can't thank you enough for sharing uh, your big break and other stories with us, Mark. I mean, I've, I've known you for years. We've worked together. I've watched you shepherd careers of many talented people. And I think this is incredibly inspiring for our listeners. So thank you so much. Yeah, it's my pleasure. And just, just to you, obviously, you know, I've always adored you personally, but I think, you know, our business always needs people who I always say, you know, you need to ride with the business. And sometimes you yeah. take turns left and right, know how to adjust for them. And, and you've always done it successfully and come up, you know, standing and, and at the top of your game. So I've always respected you and, and what you've done personally and professionally and always remained you know, the kind no, person you, you are. So always happy to help out. Uh, thank you, Mark. Yeah. I really appreciate that. And that's it for this episode of Hustle Up's The Big Break. Please join us for future episodes featuring production company CEOs, producers, writers, reps, directors, and more. Our theme music for this episode was composed by Hustle Up member Lewis Robert King. Thanks for listening, and let's hustle up.